Ducks fans. Are you ready? You are listening to the Ducks and Pucks podcast with your hosts, Mike Walters and Eddie Jones. This is the number one home for Anaheim Ducks talk and analysis. Here we go. Welcome to the show. This is your host, Mike Walters, along with my co-host, Eddie Jones. And we have an interesting show for you. It's going to be the uh, free Iron Man show. So stay tuned. We're going to be talking all about Andrew Cagliano on this show and your thoughts and impressions and everything as far as his uh, suspension, uh, as well as the last couple games that the Ducks played. We're going to talk about the uh, all-star selections, uh, whether or not the Ducks uh, you know, were winners and losers in that, and of course, get into all your fan questions. So the Ducks were on a break. You know, We had our podcast during then, Eddie, and the Ducks came out of that break, and so did the Kings. And they met up on Saturday night, and the Ducks ended up winning this one, Eddie. The Ducks finally beat the Kings. They had played them twice before, gone into overtime or a shootout and lost. And they got off to a great start. Andre Kasha scored. Uh, Kessler scored as well early in the game. They built a 2-0 lead and a 3-0 lead with uh, Kasha again in the third. The Kings did try to rally, but the Ducks held on. Uh, Perry with the uh, empty net goal at the end there. The Ducks ended up winning this one, Eddie, uh, by a final score of 4-2. What would you think? Well, I mean, they played good for about 55 minutes, and and then from there on, they almost blew it, or for about 50 minutes, up until about halfway through the third period, and, and then the Kings were able to get two quick goals, and uh, it, it got a little bit shaky from there. Luckily, Perry was able to get a, a you know kind of a, a good uh, turnaround slap shot into the empty net to, to seal the deal, but it, it was a little bit sketchy there at the end. Uh, I mean, it's obviously a big win with the Ducks looking to gain ground, and, and now, you know, Ellie's actually s- slipped a bit with the Flames winning seven games in a row. The Flames have moved up into that second spot in the Pacific, and San Jose started in a row, too, so this was a bigger game than we anticipated with the Ducks now looking to close ground on L.A., so I, I think it was a big game. Obviously, Andre Kasha had a great game. We'll talk about that uh, a little bit later and, and how he's played. But, yeah, I mean, it, it looked like it was going to be one of those games again where the Ducks were up uh, at a three, two or three goal lead, uh, and then they blow it. But uh, they got a little bit lucky in this one to, to come out with it and, and get the two points in regulation. Yeah, and, you know, how about the start to this game? Uh, we knew uh, Jared Bowl was called up. Uh, it was kind of ironic because uh, you and I and some of the other people on the staff, we talked about that, and I had mentioned, well, I think Bowl and McDermott are going to go at it, and <laughs> they're the first ones that do go at it in this game at the 2 uh, 29 mark. A couple seconds later, it's uh, Bieksa and Androff going at it again. You remember Bieksa did the Superman punch and knocked him out, so they, they went at it uh, one more time. And then right after that, Richie and Clifford went at it. So you had three fights off three face-offs and a total of four seconds, Eddie, to start this game. One of the, one of the wildest starts I've seen to uh, you know a Kings-Ducks game. Yeah, I honestly don't think I've ever seen the, that happen. I mean, we've seen you know three fights in a brawl where guys have gotten in fights, and we've, we've seen that. But I don't think I've ever seen three separate fights in, in a span of four seconds. It, it was just ridiculous. I, I mean, I was kind of half watching the game, just, just getting ready after the first fight uh, and, and sitting down, and... I thought it just kept replaying on repeat because, I, I mean, I was streaming the game, so I thought I'd hit back and, and that uh, it was the same fight, and I noticed it was a different one. It was BX, and then uh, the face-off was about to go again, and, and I kind of glanced over, and I was like, "Did it? are they replaying it? And no, it, it was Richie fighting, <laughs> fighting Clifford for the, for the third fight. But, yeah, I mean, it was crazy. And you expect that in, in a game between the Ducks and the Kings. Uh, there's always some 
kind of animosity that's going to occur. But, yeah, I mean, that was crazy. The, you know, three fights in, in four seconds and them all being separate fights, too, uh, was, was crazy. Yeah, I mean, and some of them you could kind of expect. I mean, you all remember McDermott took out uh, Kasha before, uh, which we'll talk about that uh, in relation to Cognano and all that other kind of stuff, too. But you kind of could see that one coming. Uh, obviously, VX and Androp, they went at it before again. And then, uh, of course, Clifford hates the Ducks, you know. So it wasn't a big surprise that Richie tangled with him. So, I mean, the beginning was crazy. Um, for you, those of you that went to the watch party, we were going nuts. Uh, you know, we had pretty much standing room only about an hour before the game. It was crazy, uh, you know, because this game was such a late start, too, as well. I mean, they honored uh, Bob Miller before the game, uh, and then it just dragged on and on and on. I think that, you know, the puck drop was supposed to originally be at 7.30, and then it didn't happen until almost 8 o'clock, uh, you know, Pacific time. So that got a little annoying. You know, I mean, it's great that they honored Bob Miller and everything, but, I mean, like, let's let's go here, people, you know. So um, this was this was a crazy game. I mean, I thought the Ducks played extremely well. Uh, you know, they took it to the Kings, and, you know, they brought up Kasha back, too, as well. He had gone down to San Diego during the break. And I, I thought overall this was probably one of the best games that the Ducks played, uh, you know, especially giving, you know, against their rival who they'd lost to twice before, you know, past regulation. But, you know, the Ducks hadn't beaten them in two uh, contests before. Yeah, and it was a good way to come back after the bye week. And, and I think it was arguably one of the best games for Andre Kasha um, of the season. Uh, I mean, he's been great in general. I'm, uh, you know, if you, you dive into the numbers, but he's actually the Ducks' second most productive forward, only behind Ryan Getzlaff. Uh, if you you know adjust for for the ice time difference between the two forwards, I mean he's been more productive than Raquel when he's been on the ice. So for him to come out and, and be obviously the, the number one star of this game and the Anaheim Ducks best player, uh, I mean it's great getting production from a guy that for one, I mean he was drafted seventh over or in the seventh round. Uh, when the Ducks initially drafted him in, in 2014. And, and for him to come up and even make the team, and let alone be the second most productive forward on the season, uh, it, it speaks testaments to, to the, the Ducks' drafting ability and the work that Kasha has put in. And, I mean, anytime he's in the lineup, he's making a difference. And, and I think it's easy for everybody to notice. You know, he's, he's a fast skater. He's quick on the forecheck, and, and he's always making plays. So for him to be in the lineup is it, crucial for the Ducks. Absolutely. Like you said, man, I mean, he, he did a phenomenal job in this game, one of the reasons why the Ducks won. And when this game ended, a whole bunch of stuff happened in between this game and the game against Colorado. So <laughs> it was a busy weekend uh, if you were following the Ducks. There was all kinds of stuff going on on, on Sunday and Monday. So um, after this, uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning had placed JT Brown on waivers, and the Ducks ended up picking up Brown, uh, and then they sent Shaw on waivers to make room for Brown and then Shaw gets picked up by Montreal. So kind of a weird sequence, you know, weird 48 hours here after the game of what's going on. And one of the fans asked us, uh, Ricky asked us, you know, what is our thoughts on the ducks picking up Brown and then losing Shaw? Um, and if you look at the numbers, Eddie, uh, you know, Shaw's got a little bit better numbers, not, not much. I mean, he's got two goals and six assists in 42 games uh, Brown had a goal and three assists in 24 games. He obviously got uh, you know an assist in the game against Colorado, but he didn't play as many um, games. You know, uh, you know about 17, 16 less games than Shaw. But what do you? What is your uh, thoughts as far as you know the Ducks getting Brown and Shaw? I mean, obviously he played the one game against Colorado too. You can factor that in there. But what, what did you think about all this craziness that unfolded between these games? 
Yeah, I mean, at the time when they initially claimed Brown, we we didn't know that Shaw was going to be sent down. So I actually liked the move because I thought it would be another depth forward. Uh, the Ducks would have some more options on on wing, and and Shaw would still be a part of the team. Um, you know, he hasn't been great this season. Logan Shaw has, but he's a productive fourth liner, and and he adds to the depth of this team. And bringing in JT Brown, you kind of bring in a like for like guy who can fill the same role if you need a, a you know just a plug and play a different player in. But then they end up putting Logan Shaw on waivers, and he ends up getting claimed surprisingly by the Montreal Canadiens, who just can't get enough fourth liners. It seems like this season, so he's <laughs> gone, and now the it just seems a little bit weird. I mean, it, in all honesty, I thought they would have sent Jared Bull back down, um, and then he would have gone down to to San Diego and would have still had Shaw and Brown. But yeah, it's it's an interesting one. It, it's not you know, uh, in headlining tr- like acquisition, losing Shaw and getting Brown, you're essentially getting the exact same type of production. Uh, neither of these guys are that much better than the other. You know, we might give a slight, slight edge to JT Brown and, and what he can bring. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't love it. I don't hate it. it it's, you know, it, it's they're very similar players, so it, it's hard to sit here and say the Ducks got worse or they got better. Um, I think if they had have kept Logan Shaw and been able to have both of them in the lineup, again, speaking to, to having more depth at wing, uh, that would have been something they could have benefited from. Yeah, I agree with you. I think when it first happened, we were all pretty, you know, happy uh, when, you know, you and I and the rest of the staff were talking about it. Uh, we all know Phil was super happy because <laughs> if you don't know Phil on our staff, he likes Tampa Bay and he likes the Ducks. So he was he was not, not happy that he, he got picked up, you know, from Tampa Bay. But the fact he went to Anaheim, he, he liked that. So initially we were happy with it. And then, of course, the next morning we find out that Shaw's gone. So it was kind of like, OK, well, he gained one, but you took a risk and lost the other. So. You know, I, I kind of call it a wash. I, I agree with you. I do, I do give a little bit of an edge to Brown because he hasn't played as many games. And it seemed like Carlisle wanted to give him a chance because, as you all know, uh, Cogliano got suspended for two games um, You know, prior to going into Colorado. Eddie and I are going to go into a, a lot of depth on it later on because there's a lot of fan questions. Of course, there's a lot of you out there that are upset, and, and you should be. <laughs> and Eddie and I will go into that because there's just a lot going on there. But – We'll get to the Colorado game first and a couple other things. So they get Brown. They put him in Cognito's spot on line number two, obviously with Kessler and Silverberg, which I thought was kind of interesting. And I, I originally thought maybe he would go on line three or line four, but he goes in there. The Ducks go in. They face Colorado. We know Colorado's a fast team. And unfortunately, the Ducks lose this game. Um, they took too many penalties in this game. Uh, there was a couple turning points, too. It looked like uh, after Colorado had gotten the lead, it looked like Kessler was going to maybe tie the game. And that former goalie you love, Bernier, made a paddle save on Kessler. And then, you know, Colorado turns around and scores right after that. They also got a late power play goal in the second period to go up 3-1. to one, And the Ducks just, uh, they just didn't have an answer. I mean, they didn't play terrible in this game, Eddie. But definitely taking too many penalties. And, you know, and a couple of those momentum switches in the game uh, ultimately did the Ducks in. Yeah, and one thing you had talked about previously before the game was how are the Ducks going to deal with the speed of this Colorado Avalanche team, and pretty much nobody has been able to been, uh, been able to deal with it over the past six games leading up to this one. You know, obviously now with the Avalanche winning this game, they've won seven in a row, uh, and you know the main reason behind that is is Nathan McKinnon has been one of the best players in the NHL this season. He's sitting tied for second in league scoring going into tonight's games and. Yeah, I mean, he, he was a difference maker in this game. He ended up getting the, the game-winning goal. 
Um, and it, the Ducks just really couldn't deal with it. I mean, they ended up taking six penalties, which hurt them, and a lot of that had to deal with the fact they just couldn't keep up with this team. You know, there was a, a play, uh, I can't remember the Colorado Ford who had the breakaway, but Silverberg ends up taking a hook on him, and, and, and it gets a penalty, and, and that was kind of the, the story of this game. You know, Wagner's able to, to grind out and get a goal, and unfortunately, like you said, Bernie made that great save, which could have been a turning point for the Ducks, and it goes right back. And Nathan McKinnon scores, and the, the Avalanche are up two nothing. But yeah, it's just a just a bit disappointing. I don't think they played great in this game. I think Bernier really did help the Avalanche a lot, uh, but by no means did the Ducks deserve to to, to win this game. Uh, but you know, speaking about Brown and, and being plugged in on the second line, and, and that was a little bit surprising. Uh, I think you have to look at now the fact that uh, they actually have some chemistry on some other lines, and that was something we talked about on the last few podcasts. Uh, now that they've got Richie, Henrik, and Kasha seem to be working together on a line, they obviously did really well in the game against the Kings, and they did pretty well in this game as well. And you know, hopefully that becomes a line that the Ducks can rely on for some secondary scoring, along with Kessler, Silverberg, and Cogdano when they come back, and then whoever they decide to put beside uh, Raquel and Getzlaff, which seems to be Corey Perry right now. So it looks like they're finally getting you know three lines that they can rely on, and. Obviously, it didn't work out in this game, but that's something they're going to have to continue doing moving forward. You know, and you mentioned uh, Richie, too, in there. And it's kind of interesting because we've talked about uh, trades and whatnot. And uh, Phil asked some questions about trades coming up now. You know, obviously, the Ducks getting Brown and Shaw um, uh, getting picked up by Montreal. And we had talked about Richie and how he hadn't been performing as well. What do you think, you know, obviously seeing him now with uh, Henrique, and Kasha and stuff. Do you think that Richie's still maybe someone that the Ducks might go trade to some other team, or do you think they that you know the Ducks maybe look more towards like we talked about uh, prospects as far as like Larson or something like that? If the Ducks do, uh, in fact, make a trade, you know, come this uh, trade deadline. Yeah, you know, I I don't think they're ready to give up on Richie. And we talked about that before, and you know, I to be honest, I don't think I'm ready to give up on. Him. I think he still has. That upside, I think you you know, you know he's maybe a late bloomer, especially with the the play style that he has. So I think there's still potential for the, for him to, to get better. And and I think from what I've seen the last two games that he's been put on the line with Henrik and Cash, I think his play has gotten better. Uh, you know the the offense still hasn't been there, but from I liked what I've I've seen from that line so far. So it'll be interesting to see how that works out. I, I still don't think they involve him in a deal. Um, you know, earlier today, um, I had put out that uh, that uh, Vander Kane, the price on him has gone up. That was reported today. Now, Buffalo's looking for an insane amount for for a guy who's going to be an unrestricted free agent in the off season. So I think if the Ducks were ever in on him, they're they're probably out now. Um, and an interesting thing too is is Anthony Duclair is now off the market. And that was something we talked about, maybe a one for one, with Richie and Duclair. Uh, now he's off to to Chicago. So that deal kind of goes out the window. And, and really, you still have the big-name guys like Patch Reddy and, and Hoffman who are left available. Somebody had mentioned to me Brock Nelson's name. I'm not sure if, if the Islanders would be willing to move him or not. And, and I think a, another interesting one coming from the same organization is Joshua Hosang. And uh, we're kind of seeing a similar uh, thing that we saw with Jonathan Duran when he was with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Some attitude issues. Uh, a guy who believes he should be playing in the NHL. Um, the the actual coach and for the minor league affiliate for the Islanders was calling him a baby, um, and saying he needs to grow up. So it's an interesting situation developing there, and I, I don't really know how much 
longer these two can go at it before they just need to separate ways. And and, and don't get me wrong, Joshua Hosang, Hosang is a great player. Uh, and when he's been up with the Islanders this season, he's been very productive. So, you know, there's another avenue the Ducks could explore if they're looking in to bring uh, a young you know, a young forward who can contribute to their top nine scoring. And, and you know, he's only 21, has plenty of upside. And I think he's been unfairly judged as having a bad attitude. I, I think, you know, he could do from a fresh start if the Islanders are looking to move him. And I think that would be a great choice if the Ducks went and, and looked in that avenue. Yeah, I, I agree with you on all counts. I, I think the price on Evander Kane has just gone stupidly high. I think the Ducks should stay away and just go with the other choices that you mentioned. I, I mean, if they're going to do something, um, they're kind of in a weird situation now. Uh, you know, obviously the, they got Brown, they, they lost Shaw. It's kind of up in the air. We talked about it on the last show, if you didn't listen, that we thought the Ducks should try to get another forward. Um, they kind of did this last time, but not really. Uh, you know, so we still we still hold that opinion. We also think that the Ducks should also try to add on defense if they can, because as, as you talked about, and we really saw this in the Colorado game, uh, the Ducks are a little bit slow there, especially on the third uh, D-line pairing. So those are some things to look at, you know, as the trade deadline gets a little bit closer. I mean, it, you know, we're in uh, January now. February is right around the corner. So uh, another thing, just shifting a little bit of gears here, but amongst all the stuff that gone on in the last week, Eddie, uh, with the Ducks, um, you know, the All-Star game uh, players were named, and Ricard Raquel made that list. So very happy for him to do it. You know, he had 15 goals, 17 assists so far. Uh, in 40 games. Uh, what did you think about Raquel making it? And, and do you think there's some Ducks players that maybe uh, got snuffed out of it? Because there was some conversation, too, about how you know the Kings and Vegas had you know several players, but the Ducks only had one. Uh, what are your thoughts as far as the All-Star selections? Yeah, every year, no matter what the team, there always seems to be some guys who were snubbed and, and didn't make the team when they should have. And, and that was like that across the league. There was guys that, that people believe should have made it. Uh, but you know, starting with Raquel, I, I think it, you know he deserves it. Um, he's been the Ducks' best player since the beginning of the season. I don't think Getzlaff's played enough games for him to to be considered eligible for the All Star game. Um, but yeah, I, I think you you start you look at James Neal as a guy who probably you know maybe not, he didn't deserve to be there. But you look at a guy like William Carlson and, and Jonathan Marchessault from Vegas, who I think equally deserve to be there, if not deserve to be there a little more than James Neal. Um, and then the unique one comes in goal. I, Jonathan Quick, for sure. Uh, I mean, he's been great for the Kings this year. He's probably been the best goalie in the Pacific Division since the beginning of the season. But then you get Marc-Andre Fleury, who has only played 13 games this season. And he's been great in those 13 games. Uh, but he gets called to the All-Star game. And, and I think that's a little bit weird because we've seen in the past, whether it be with the All-Star game, whether, whether it even be with um, awards at the end of the season, Guys who have played less games usually have a, less of a chance of making a team or earning a reward, and I think it was surprising to see his name there. Um, obviously, a lot of us would have liked to see John Gibson there, and I think he deserved it. Another guy as well as Mike Smith with Calgary. He's started almost all their games this season, and he's a reason that they're on a seven-game winning streak right now. You know, He's another guy that we could have seen in that slot as well, so I, I think the two biggest snuffs came there and, and, and either Gibson or Mike Smith being that second goaltender. I think it was surprising for a lot of people to see Flurry there. And you know, I think they went with the numbers that he had, but the the small sample size of games is what gets me. I mean if he can get in there with only playing thirteen games, 
how do you not consider a guy like Ryan uh, Ryan Getzloff, who had only played a handful of games at the point, and maybe him going there because he's been great since he's come back. So, yeah, I don't know. It's just a little bit weird for me. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I don't know. Maybe if they're considering the fact that Vegas is doing so well and whatnot, you know, especially obviously in the Pacific Division, you know, leading the way. But I agree with you. I mean, you have Gibson that's played 34 games. You have Flurry that's played 13 you know, I I don't know. I just that kind of irritated me. I don't really like that. I think a lot of other people agreed. They thought you know Gibson would have been one that was in there. Yeah, Gibson doesn't have a great record, but you got to look at all the games and all the things he's done to keep this Ducks team together, especially in the first couple of months with all the fifty billion injuries that this team has had. So uh, I was a little upset about that. I was happy about Raquel, but not not happy that. Uh, Flurry made it over Gibson, or even Mike Smith, like you said, he's another one that uh, you know I thought maybe the league would go with, but that's what the uh, the results ended up uh, being. So the big topic of the show, of course, Eddie, is the uh, suspension of Andrew Cogliano, and there's all kinds of stuff we could talk about. There's all kinds of fan questions and all kinds of angles uh, on this. So as we talked about the Kings game earlier in the show, uh, a lot of physicality three fights, uh, at least individual fights right in the beginning. There was also kind of a group fight after that, but you had all that going on. You had uh, Dowdy uh, elbowing Raquel. You had Pearson elbowing uh, Henrique. And then you had this whole incident with Cognato and then Kempe. Uh, for those of you that don't remember, uh, Cognato did get a two-minute uh, interference penalty in this uh, game, and then we got word that there was going to be a hearing, and I know, Eddie, you and I, our first reaction was like, WTF, uh, why is there going to be a hearing? I mean, it, it didn't look that bad of a play. Uh, and obviously, some of those other plays that we saw that the Kings and Ducks were engaged in didn't get reviewed at all, which is, you know, BS in our opinion. But what what were your thoughts? You know, we, we thought maybe he was going to get fined. Um, you know, we didn't disagree with the initial call on the penalty. But what was your initial reaction? Because... We were kind of waiting for the hearing to come out. You and I had talked about it. Uh, everyone else on the staff talked about it. We thought, okay, he's just going to get fined, no big deal. And then it comes out with the two-game uh, uh, two suspension. Yeah, I think like everybody, uh, and we've seen the reaction, I think a lot of it was just surprise. Um, you know, I, I didn't expect him to get suspended. I, I think with obviously him having a hearing, I expected some kind of discipline, and it would most likely be a fine and that would be it. And you know, we haven't seen any kind of history uh, of play like this from Cogliano in the past. And we've seen hits that we'll get into, obviously, even after Cogliano's suspension that should have deserved yep. suspension and didn't get any discipline hits in that game that people question uh, as being just as bad, if not worse, that didn't get any any response from the Department of Player Safety either. So it, it's I think the thing that frustrates me the most is, is the inconsistency, and I think that frustrates everybody, is the inconsistency of the Department of Player Safety and, and their handling of discipline. It, in some cases, it's just ridiculous. Uh, it, and it's been like that for a while. No matter, you know, not just you can't just criticize George Perros. It happened when Shanahan was there. It, it's happened all the way up until leading in, up until now. I mean, there's just been issues with consistency on on discipline for the last as long as I can remember, to be honest. And it, it's disappointing. You know, they have to set some kind of guidelines. And I and I get it subjective, and and it comes down to a final decision. But there has to be some guidelines to what is constituted as, as a, a dirty hit that deserves a suspension, one that deserves a fine, and then you have to take into account player history as well. 
Now, obviously, I don't think you know, some people are saying, well, just give it to him. Don't don't suspend him because of his streak. And, and I don't think you can take that into consideration. It's not fair to say that, oh, well, he's on a, an 830-game streak. Let's just let it pass, and, and he doesn't get a suspension. But, you know, you have to take into account their history. It's not like he's ever done this before. And, it, again, like, it, it just comes down to consistency of calls. You know, if this was a dirty hit and it fell within their guidelines and he gets suspended, then fine. You know, then fine. It's a suspendable hit. But then you look at Giordano um, in the Calgary versus Carolina game not long after. I think it was either the night after or two games after the Kings game. Giordano has a, a headshot on Aho. Also heard, he hits him with a little bit of a knee-on-knee on the same hit. Aho is out with a concussion. Giordano gets a match penalty, so they recognize the fact that it was a headshot. And then there's no supplementary discipline after that. He doesn't get anything else, and he's back playing for Calgary in their next game. You know, I, I just that that's what gets me mad about this in general. Like I, I agree with Cogliano, it was a late hit. You know, there was a little bit of contact with the head, fine. But how do you call that a two game suspension and then let a hit like that that Giordano had on Aho go the next like to a, ga- a day later. It, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, and I agree with you. And, and and you, the fans, you know out there too. In the game before, McDermott took out uh, Kasha. Same thing. He got a major penalty in that game and got booted out, and then no supplementary discipline. So, to me, you know what? Screw all this. From now on, if there's some kind of match penalty or game misconduct or any kind of thing attached to some, you know, eight five minute major whatever, to me, they should just review that play automatically. The player safety should just go back and look at it automatically because this is a joke. Period. Uh, I just I'm so tired of this, and I do agree with you on on the point that we were talking about as far as the streak. I don't think you can look at a play, and trust me, I love Andrew Cogliano. I love the Ducks, but. Trying to be objective here, you can't look at the play and say do or do not suspend him because of the streak solely because of that. Is it something that you would consider as a factor or something you would think about? Absolutely, but to solely say okay, we're gonna we're gonna do this or not do this because of that, th- that's not really fair. You you can't do. It's difficult, I know, but you can't consider that the sole reason for a suspension or not. Now, looking at the play. Go back and watch that play and freeze it by frame by frame. I must have watched it probably 20 times in a row. You watch that play. Is it an interference penalty? Absolutely. Is it something that maybe he gets fined for because he hit him in the head? And you and I talked about this. Absolutely. Is it something that he should get suspended for? Hell no. There's no way that he should be suspended. If you watch that play, he goes in to make the hit. He's tucked down. Is it a late hit? Yes. But you see Kempe try to get out of the way. When he tries to get out of the way, his stick hits Cogliano's shoulder and then hits himself in the nose. Watch the play. Go back, freeze it, frame by frame. There is no way that he should be suspended on this play. And I, I, like you said, it, it's, it wasn't just Peros. And I know he got a lot of heat from a lot of people. And it's still out there. He's getting a lot of heat. It's also the Shanahan thing, too. But... They need to start changing these rules and fix some stuff up. I mean, it, like I said, they should talk about these five-minute majors. They should all be reviewed. Any player that has head contact, it should be reviewed. Because the part of this that upset me the most too, Eddie, and this is where a lot of the fans do have a valid point, is you saw what Drew Doughty did. You saw what Pearson did. Both those were blatant elbows, and they did not get reviewed at all. 
if they would have been both reviewed and got fines or suspensions or whatever, I, I think that would have made the situation a little better. But the fact that they didn't even look at either one of those plays, and those are totally obvious, blatant plays. I don't care what anybody says. You go back and watch those plays. And one of them, the one with Pearson and Henrique, the ref is standing right there and sees it and does nothing. I, it just irritates me. I, I don't like to complain about calls. That's not the way you and I are. We talk about games and stuff. But if we're going to be concerned about headshots and things that happen to players, it goes both ways. You, you've got to look at every single headshot in every game now. I, I think that's the only way you're going to make this fair and consistent because they've been consistent at being inconsistent, Eddie. Yeah, and I think a problem too is is we don't really even know where to where it stands and and how to judge a play like this because there's so much inconsistency in the calls. I mean, who are any of us to say that this is a is a suspendable play or not because we don't have a a standard to compare it to. I um, like we look, like I keep referring to this hit and and the hits in the in the game because they're they're recent to the, you know obviously the the Doughty elbow on Raquel and the Giordano hit on Aho. To me, though, to me, the Giordano hit for sure is suspendable. I believe the the Doughty elbow on Raquel deserves a look at whether it's yes. a line or suspension. Exactly. No, I, I think it's borderline. But you know, when similar plays and uh, occur within such a short time, and, and then Coglano is the one who ends up getting the suspension, and obviously, you know, it's it's hard to not be a little bit biased and, and feel bad for Coglano. But it's just we can't really sit here and judge because there's no consistent standard to judge it against. And that's something the NHL and the Department of Player Safety have to work on. There has to be a standard of, of what's considered a suspendable hit and what's considered a hit that just needs a fine and what's considered a hit that the player can get off with just a match penalty and no discipline, further discipline after that. And we're not at that point right now, and I don't know how we're not at that point this far like this far down the road, how how they're not anywhere close to that. Like it's just ridiculous. And we've been dealing with this for I don't know how long. It's it seems every season there seems to be an issue with the consistency of the of suspensions by the Department of Player Safety, and and nobody really knows what they look at, and they put out the videos and they try and explain it, but it never gets any clearer. And, and, and that's just the main issue right now. And and it it seems simple. Sit down, figure out some guidelines on what's a dangerous hit and what's not. Find out what you consider a suspendable hit and what you don't, and go from there and work on some consistency. But it, it's just ridiculous, especially when, yes, you know, we talk about we believe Cogliano's hit is late. Yes, there's contact with the head. If you consider that a suspendable hit at the Department of Player Safety, fine. Then it's a suspendable hit and he gets suspended for two games no matter what of, of his previous history or whatever. But then you see a similar hit a day later and nothing happens other than a match penalty. That's where I think a lot of people are confused and and there's really nothing there's no way to look at it any other way because there's there's no standard to compare it to and um i honestly don't know when it's going to get fixed because you know i talked about and you talked about it how it's not just peros it's shanahan it's other guys who have been in charge where this has still been an issue and you know i get it the plays are subjective and it comes down to a final decision but you would expect there to be at least some consistency um, and we've seen the same issue with goaltender interference, and, and at least yep. that's got a little bit better. But, yeah, I mean, when it comes down to taking a player out for two games, and, and obviously it's disappointing the way it happened to Cogliano and with his streak, but you've, you've got to have some consistency if you're, you're going to take players out of a lineup. You know, the only thing I can really uh, compare it to in another sport, and, I mean, this isn't even – they got their own issues too, 
But if you look at the uh, NFL, they look at all the scoring plays. They review them every single time. Okay, that's what they do. And I know there's some other issues with the catch and all that completion stuff that's BS. But my point is they look at every single scoring play and it's reviewed. So guess what? Every single major penalty and every single headshot should be reviewed. And I think that's the only way you're going to at least get consistent with these couple issues. If it's automatically reviewed by the player safety, you know, like you said, the Dowdy hit, the Pierce hit, maybe they're not suspensions. Maybe they're fines instead. Okay, but at least you know those plays are going to get reviewed. And I think that's what so many people are upset about is that it's not just that they reviewed the Kagiana play, which you and I thought shouldn't even have been reviewed, um, at least based upon what we know. And like you said, the standard is so blurry, it's ridiculous. But – that play gets reviewed. He gets suspended. They don't go review the other two hits in the same game that, in my mind, were far worse and far more intentional. I, I just blows my mind. And I think that's the problem. I, I, I hate to take a black and white approach, but if we're going to be concerned about players and their health, if that's the main thing that we're talking about, the longevity of them playing in the game, like, you know, they've taken away, you know, on the icing. You know, when you remember back in the day, they used to crash into the boards all the time. And now, of course, they've blown the whistle at that certain point. And it's and they they've stopped that. Well, if they're gonna stop this stuff too, th- there is no gray. They're just gonna have to decide. Okay, every time there's head contact, every time there's a major penalty, forget it. It's gonna be reviewed, and that's the way that stuff's gonna be stopped. But the other factor too, that I think was disappointing. I think the bigger one in this, Eddie. I mean, the streak is important, of course, but I think the biggest thing is he has no history, zero history. And he didn't even extend really on the on the hit. I mean, that's what blows my mind. I remember you and I talked about this. We thought, okay, he's probably gonna be, get fined, no big deal. And then when it came out, we were just like, "Are you effing kidding me?" Um, I, I just think that's it. And if the, and if that's not the standard, if it's not that they're gonna say, "Okay, we're automatically looking at these plays or something," okay, whatever. They need to come up with something because, like you said. It's all over the place. You'll watch the videos, and they'll tell you that this is interference, or they'll tell you that this is cross-checking, or this is you know whatever. But it's just unfortunate because it's like they pick and choose sometimes. There's no rhyme or reason, and that's just the way it's been. And I know some people, we had some fan questions. They're like, well, why did they get it, and why didn't we get it? I mean, I don't really have a reason. That, And I think that's the, the bigger issue. It's not just that he got suspended and his streak is gone. But there are no clear guidelines. And a lot of people, you know, I saw on Twitter and Facebook just royally upset and, and righteously upset. Um, they just don't have a system in place that is consistent. And until that happens, unfortunately, these things are going to happen. Whether you're a Ducks fan, a Kings fan, a Sharks fan, whoever you root for, we're going to keep on seeing this. And it's just not going to get fixed, Eddie. Yeah, and you, you talked about his history and the fact that he, there's never he's never really been involved in anything like this before, and, and you know he skated to the penalty box, accepted his penalty, didn't argue, didn't hear from him about it after after the game. He said that he didn't he wasn't trying to injure Campbell. Campbell didn't even get injured on the play too, which I think is significant. You know the fact that he wasn't injured, he came back, he finished the game, he played the entire game, and. I just, it, it, I just don't get it. You know, it's, it's disappointing, and I, and I, again, I, I restate, like I, I agree, it was a late hit, and he did hit him in the head, but when you, you take into account, they always say they take into account player history, the fact if the guy got injured or not, and, and you know, both of those, you know, Cogliano's a clean record, and Kempe is fine. Yeah, he still gets a two-game suspension. You then, and again, I'm going to refer to the. Everybody's probably sick of it. I'm going to refer to the Giordano hit again. You know, Giordano has a history of, of these types of hits. 
Aho gets hurt. He has a concussion. He has a lower body injury. We don't know how long he's out for. Jan Rodano gets a penalty. And then no discipline after that. You know, I just... They're, they're similar plays. The Giordano hit actually injured the player. Giordano has a history of, of these types of hits. And he gets away without a suspension. I, I just... That's the thing I think that, that pisses a lot of people off is, is, again, there's no standard. There's no guidelines. You know, a, a hit that by a guy who, who has no history and, and accepts the fact that it, it wasn't a, a clean hit and the player doesn't get injured, gets a suspension, when the guy who has a history and injures the player doesn't. And I don't, I don't, I don't see how they get away with that, to be honest. Yeah, and I mean, you speak about this whole thing, and, and, and of course we talk about the fan reaction, but guess what? Players chimed in on this too. Um, you saw Francois Boschman tweet out about it. You saw Ty Domi tweet about it. You saw a couple others. We even asked Tamu Solani about this on Twitter, and he replied, and, and he said, quote, this is a tough one, NHL having been criticized that they don't look after the players enough, especially the hits on the head. Cogs, and he quotes, little hit is late. But he's super clean reputation for the game, and luckily Kempe doesn't doesn't get hurt. He, I think it's too big of a punishment for him. That's what Tamu said. Pretty much what you and I are saying. And I mean, you you see all these other players tweeting out this stuff, saying that they just think that it, it's just ridiculous. So, uh, I mean, you you know that it's gotten to the point where it's bad when the players take to social media. And even players that aren't even on the Ducks or retired players like Tame, of course. But, you know, he's going to defend the Ducks, of course. But you've got all these people going out there and saying, you know, basically, you know, WTF to this whole thing. So, I mean, you know that that this is a big issue. And I think the only way is they're going to have to set up a system and they're going to have to come up with a way of saying – you know what plays are reviewed, what plays aren't, Eddie. I think the other thing is you have to look at the player history, and they they need to determine how how the the uh, the suspensions are doled out. You know we've seen it, but you know like Rafi Torres one time got suspended for a bazillion games because of his history. You know, and then they've got to they've got to come up with some kind of a system so that there's no surprise. Like if it's a first offense, it's it's one game or two games or whatever it is. They need to come up with that and come up with the the criteria because right now there really is no criteria. I mean, uh, when you watch those videos on the player safety, all they tell you is, well, they hit his head. Okay, he committed a penalty. But then when they give you that game suspension number, it's like they just pull it out of who knows where because it doesn't follow a, a pattern at all. Um, and, and other hits we've seen, and it's like, oh, okay, the guy got a fine. And you're like, he got a fine for that? He didn't get a penalty? You know, and this one, of course, the Cogdon is the reverse. We thought he was going to get only a fine. So... I think that's the biggest issue here is some kind of system has to be set up for fines, number of hits, the, the player history involved, uh, how many prior incidents they've had. Um, like you said, if the player's injured or not, Kempe wasn't even injured on this play. I mean, yeah, he had a little bit of blood on his nose, but like I said, go back and watch the video. His own stick hits him in the nose. Give me a break, people. It, it was not Cagliano hitting him that caused that, and he was trying to get out of the way. So I, I, I that's – that's really all I have, Eddie. I don't really have anything else to say on this. I mean, I know everybody else out there listening is frustrated. Cagliano had to sit that game against Colorado. He's got to sit that game against Pittsburgh. It's unfortunate because the streak ends and it's it's not by his choice, which I think is complete BS. But that's the way the rules are set because he's still missing the game technically. But um, I just think there needs to be an overhaul, a uh, player safety period. 
whether it's getting rid of Peros or it's changing the system, you know, I, you know, I know a lot of people are mad at Peros. I don't know if, if you know, booting him out is necessarily the answer, but some kind of reform has to be done. Um, because this is just, it's just ridiculous. And we've seen this with other teams and other players. And to be honest, I only think they were just trying to make an example of Cogliano to the rest of the players in the league saying, you know, if we can suspend a guy who is on a streak like this and it doesn't matter to us and, and we can suspend a guy who has no history and a guy was, was, wasn't injured on the play, then we can suspend anybody. And and I don't know if that's true. I hope it isn't because right. that's not something you should be doing. You should treat every play equally. Um, but to me, that seems like a possibility in what they're trying to do. Uh, but then you go into the next night and, and you get a hit from a, from a player who has a history and, and then they don't get suspended. And, and then you say, well, if they're trying to make an example of Cogliano, they didn't really follow up with it on, on a play after that. And I guess we'll have to see how they deal with discipline throughout the rest of the season and, and see if that ends up being the case, but you know, it, it just sucks. I mean, everything was going well for, for Cogliano up to that point. He was having a great season. Obviously, again, the streak was continued. It just signed a contract extension with the Ducks for three more seasons, and then he, he goes out, and we all saw the interview that he had with Kenneth French and, and was on the verge of tears uh, because, you know, he rarely talks about, you know, during the streak, uh, he rarely talked about it because you know, it, it wasn't important to him at the time it was just a thing that was happening he was still playing and you know now he's reflecting on it and and you know it's an amazing achievement from a from a guy to come into the league and never miss a game you know a, a lot of people look at that and, and are impressed with that and they should be i mean that's amazing for for a guy in the way he plays too and, and how hard he plays to never miss a game by injury you know by cassie was out with the flu it was all this season, and to never miss a game with injury, illness, anything uh, up until that point is amazing. And it's just disappointing that it, it ends with the suspension. I mean, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, it's uh, unfortunate, too. We've seen several times where Cogliano's taken a beating, too. Uh, a couple of those games against Chicago we've seen where he's gotten his teeth knocked out, and he still goes to the locker room for five seconds and runs back out. I mean, it's just crazy to see what he's done. And, um, you know, I guess one of the points that comes up from one of our, our buddies over at Refuse Suck is he says, you know, what, what's the sign idea is going to be for uh, Cagliano when he comes back on Friday? Uh, you know, obviously the, the Ducks are going to play Pittsburgh on Wednesday. He'll be out that game. Then they play the Kings. And he, he was saying, you know, put 831 up there as the number. And, you know, I just – I don't know. I, I mean, for us, it's it's free Iron Man. That's, that's what ours is because, you know, I just – it's just frustrating. I, I still think the streak should continue. I know that's not you know that's not how the rules are written or whatever, but I just think that the whole way that this went down was completely wrong and mishandled, and uh, it's just it's just frustrating. Like you said, especially a guy like like Cogliano. He's not an arrogant type of person. He's not one to go out there and be like, look at me, look what I'm doing. He's you know he's been reserved. He's been a professional. He's taken a beating from all kinds of different uh, games and keeps on ticking. And for for this to be the way, it's just. Uh, Man, I, I just have to shake my head. I just uh, I don't have anything else to say. I mean, I, like you said, watching that video of Cagano made me want to cry. I mean, I felt bad for the guy because knowing his reputation, knowing his demeanor, the, uh, the respect that he has around the league and the players coming to bat for him on social media, um, it's just frustrating. And so with that, you know, the Ducks are going to have to battle out Pittsburgh. 
this week, Eddie. Uh, you know who they did beat. They took them out. Uh, you know, four nothing before. So hopefully the Ducks can you know beat them. And then of course they're going to play L.A. again, which this is going to be interesting because now Cogdon is coming back and he's coming back in the game against the Kings that he got suspended for. So you know this is going to be a wild affair. Um, as they always are. They're always physical. Who knows how many fights will be in this game. And then, of course, the Ducks follow that up against San Jose, another team that we know that the Ducks love as well. So this is going to be a crazy week, Eddie, with these three games coming up, and I expect there to be a lot of fireworks in these three contests. Yeah, and, and you know, I think this Pittsburgh game is going to be a little bit different from when we played them throughout this season. They're actually starting to play like the team a lot of people expected them to play as. Obviously, Matt Murray is still out of the lineup. I don't know if he'll be ready to go by the time Pittsburgh and the Ducks play um, tomorrow. But it'll, it'll be interesting. Um, you know, they, the the Penguins play us on Wednesday, and then they play the Kings on Thursday. So we'll see. Uh, we'll either see Tristan Yari or whoever else they decide to put out there if Matt Murray isn't ready. Um, and this is a team who's won five of their last six games, and and in all the wins that they've had, they've. You know, scored at least four, five, or six goals. So they're starting to play very well. Kessel, obviously, Crosby, Malkin are playing up to the level they expect. So this is going to be a tough game for the Ducks. And then, again, you go into Friday's game against the Kings. And like you said, Cogliano returns uh, against the team where he ended up getting the suspension. So it's going to be an emotional game. I'm sure we'll see a couple more fights. I'm sure Jared Bowl will be dressed for that game <laughs> in the lineup. So that's going to be a feisty one. And, again, it's it's a, a game that's important to the Ducks. It was important that they won the last one against the Kings in regulation, and we talked about this on the last podcast as well, that these games are becoming more important at, more important at this point in the season. The Ducks are going to have to win these games, and if they can, win them in regulation to gain points on the teams in front of them. And that's the same thing for the Sharks game on Sunday as well. The Sharks have been struggling lately. They're still in a good position, however, so the Ducks are going to have to go into that game as well and and try and get two points in regulation. So this is a tough week, and it's against three good teams and and two very important Pacific Division rivals. So you know, if they can come out of these and and win at least the two games against L.A. and San Jose, that's going to be huge for their push into the playoffs. Yeah, because, I mean, if you look at the standings right now, I mean, San Jose is in action as we're recording this podcast, so it can change. But if you look, San Jose is three points ahead of the Ducks, and the Kings are four points, uh, and the Ducks are in fifth place. So uh, you've got them all log-jammed there, battling it out. And, and I mean, Calgary, who you mentioned has been on a roll, they've won seven in a row. They're one point above L.A. at this point of the show when we're recording it, as I mentioned. So you've got those four teams battling it out for second and third and maybe a wild card spot. So I, I still hold on to the belief that the Ducks will make the playoffs, but I think it's going to be a wild, wild finish in the West, um, in the uh, Pacific Division especially. And we'll have to see how it turns out. But I still think the Ducks are on the upswing. Yeah, they, they didn't play as well as we thought in Colorado, but I expect them to come out and play pretty well in these next three games. I really expect them to be fired up on Friday against L.A. when when Cogla comes back and the Ducks are playing at home in Honda Center. So I look for them to uh, you know keep it going next three games. Uh, we'll probably uh, do a podcast after those three. Uh, and we're going to probably have a watch party I, sometime in February. We'll see. Maybe March. We'll figure it out. But we had a lot of fun at the last one. That, you know, Everybody showed up and it was packed well before the game. So a lot of fun times. So with that, we will be back in a week. Let's go Ducks and free Ironman. Man.